0: Welcome to Simply Why, a podcast about money and purpose, where we pull back the curtain on running a financial advisory business focused on providing intentional advice to couples and families. I'm Dennis Morton.
1: And I'm Katie Brown. Welcome back, and thanks for tuning in.
0: This is officially our first winter version of the podcast. Like, it's actually cold outside. Yes. We all actually have colds. It's it's just it really feels in the season right now. <laughs> speaking of, okay so we're going to get on to today's topic but i'm going to start out with a question are you a collector of anything oh do you have a collection
1: um no i am really hmm. not a collector i i'm not I, I think to the point of and maybe sharing a little too much for this episode but that's I'm what really that's what we're here
0: for, for kate we're, here, we're we're here to share too much today
1: i am not an overly sentimental person so I don't, I, I tend not to hang on to excess stuff. So the idea of a collection is not super appealing to me.
0: See, so, you know, I, I, on the other hand, am a sentimental person and I like holding on to mementos and things that remind me of stuff, but I'm also married to a declutter coach. And I think we both have this in common that I don't think our spouses really like the idea of us collecting anything either.
1: Oh, yeah. That doesn't fly very well with my spouse. If, yeah.
0: Yeah. So anyway, the reason we got on the topic of kind of collecting and clutter and, and things like that, we're going to talk today about the random stuff that builds up in people's investing accounts and in their financial lives, because it is random. The stuff that we see come across our desks, isn't it?
1: It is. Yes. Yeah. There had been plenty of occasions this week, last week, probably the week before, <laughs> where, 10 minutes ago. Yeah. where, where we see, I'm, I'm going to say just client statements that you look at them and, and we ponder, trying to figure out what was the strategy here? Where did these things come from? How long have some of these things been in place? And are they purposely in place for that long? I think we spend a lot of energy, both within our tools and just mental energy, trying to figure out the intention behind some of the things that we see.
0: Yeah, we'll say flat out, tell me what's happening here. we to look at the statement, Describe to me how this got here, because as a professional, I have no idea. So we're gonna call out a couple of specific examples. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, do I have random stuff in my portfolio? Here's how it might show up for you. So you open up your monthly statement online, you scroll through the first couple of pages and you get down to what you, you hold. Maybe it starts out with a handful of mutual funds. Then maybe it's a listing of a few different exchange traded funds. Then it's a handful of individual stocks, a couple of individual bonds, some preferred stock, which preferred stock, not many people really understand the mechanics of bonds, let alone preferred stock. So I don't know why it's in there in the first place. And then you make it down to some structured products or other, and it's a random assortment of things that just don't cohesively go well together. And it's hard to figure out how this all got to be so complicated and random.
1: You know where I think a lot of it comes from, Dennis? Where? Where? I think a lot of it comes from capital flows. And when I say capital flows, money going into the account, money coming out of the account. And I, I feel like oftentimes and, and I've had this conversation with clients too, where they say, I'm going to deposit you know fifty thousand dollars. What are you going to do with that fifty thousand
0: mm-hmm. dollars?
1: Where I think sometimes the idea of assigning a strategy to each incremental piece, is the default to how a lot of portfolios are put together as opposed to creating a cohesive overriding strategy so that when that $50,000 comes in, I know, all right, we are going to rebalance it back to that cohesive strategy that we've already talked about, we've already agreed upon.
0: Yes. I just saw, and I'm not going to attribute this the right way, I um, saw on Twitter the other day, somebody posting about the idea of the day that's happened so frequently in the last couple of years. People have moved from, I want to be all in on cryptocurrency, to all in on NFTs, to wanting to buy I-bonds, to wanting to do treasury ladders. There's been just a, a moment. And if you had cash in one of those times, some other shiny object could have been the temptation. And without a cohesive plan, you, you could keep going after those those ideas and end up with a random assortment of things that look almost like a time capsule. Yes. I still see that, oh my gosh, this goes back to my uh, years at, at a Wall Street brokerage, is that you know someone would come in and say, I have $10,000, dollars 50000 to put to work, and you have, have a list of preferred stocks sitting in front of you. Well, let's buy some preferred stock because it's sitting right here, and it's just whatever's accessible. So that is kind of the hard work of the advisory role to, to fight against that and bring it back to the cohesive strategy.
1: Yes. As, as you were describing the investment statements that we sometimes see come across our desks The first thing that you mentioned was mutual funds and mutual funds you know i think something else to look for are to see what share class are you invested in in mutual funds it's a whole confusing world of share classes out there i mean one particular fund could have 10 15 different share classes that are made for different vehicles but the most common ones that retail investors will receive are a b and c shares B shares and C shares, for the most part, have kind of gone out the window. Mm -hmm. If you still have some B shares or C shares inside of your account, then that was probably put in place a long time ago and has not been updated as things should be updated and strategies should be maintained. And I think that's sometimes the risk, too, is that you have different things coming in and out of the portfolio at different times, and they don't quite match up the way that they should.
0: Yes this is one. I'm just going to wait for your reaction on this one. I'm going to say three words, Vanguard Healthcare Fund. What immediately (laughs) comes to mind
1: people love that fund we see that so often a,
0: a vanguard statement will come in almost every single one you go in there it'll be the vanguard total stock market fund or something a lot of broad indexes and then there's always an allocation to the vanguard healthcare fund it's, it's like it went on sale sometime in 2005 and it was like you know a fire sale everybody had to buy it it just ends up in there right and it's just a random sector fund that it's, it's ubiquitous
1: well, and totally fine, once again, if it's part of the bigger strategy and it doesn't account for 20% of the account, right. as we often see. And that's that's one of the things that can happen if, if you just kind of stockpile little pieces here and there, all of a sudden you get these balloons and sectors that you may not realize that you're getting. And you veered so far away from a well-diversified portfolio.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and this comes back to the idea of sometimes these things accumulate into a random portfolio because they were glitzy, right? Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about how successful investing should be relatively boring. Like the closer you look at it, the more boring it really could or should be. If you're you're looking deeper into an investment and it's looking riskier and riskier with it, the further you go, that's probably not a good, not a good thing.
1: Or more and more confusing. Right. I think that's interesting. We've been talking a lot internally, Charlie Munger, Recently passed away. Mm -hmm. So, Warren Buffett's right hand man at Berkshire Hathaway and 99 years old. And there have been some really nice tribute articles about him recently. But one of the things that he said that he and Warren would do is they would have their too hard pile. I love that. If something showed up, that was too complicated, or they realized it was on the brink, on the edge of where their knowledge and comfort level was, they just simply put it in the too hard pile. Not going to deal with it.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I think it's funny because the there was a lot of written about how complimentary they were and two really smart guys who would talk about investing. But one of the first conclusions they always reached was a level of humility about what they don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great way to, to go through life that you don't have to you don't have to cast a wide net. You don't have to grab a random assortment of things, but you know, develop an understanding of why it is that you own something, and then have that be defensible. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Berkshire Hathaway's done for years. Is like they can defend every investment they've ever made, and we should be able to do that for our clients. Like, why is it that that this got into my portfolio? And that's initially when we sit down and go over somebody who has a random assortment of securities in, a, in a, an investment account we'll ask them as politely as we can, just why is this here? Is there a reason for it? why? Why do you own nine shares of ExxonMobil in a million dollar portfolio? So there's a way to clean it up. And I think there's a lot of peace in that.
1: Yes, absolutely. I was thinking about it. If part of your investment strategy is how am I going to treat each individual piece? You're going to do one of two things. You are either going to, every time that money comes in or you take money out, you're going to constantly reevaluate What is my strategy does it still make sense you may be tinkering with it which we all we all know on some level too much tinkering typically leads to lower returns but you're putting a lot of time and energy into figuring out all right what is my strategy or the other thing that you're going to do is you're going to abandon whatever strategy was there in the first place and you have just this mismatch of investments in both cases and in in that case there's a lot of confusion and complexity but in both cases it's more work it's more stress So the idea of having a top line strategy that you can stick with and maintain the discipline with that really does help to reduce some of that anxiety around, what do I do with my money?
0: That's a very good point. And a lot of what we talk about here on the podcast is how to have a better, more successful relationship with your advisor, with your money, with all the, all the parties involved. And wouldn't it be a a powerful question instead of, Hey, going to your advisor and saying, I have money that I would like to invest. What do you think I should do with it? Walk in and instead say, remind me again what the strategy is for my investment portfolio. Yes. Start at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Just remind me again. Because this happened, we've talked about this before, I think on the show is clients will often say after we've been working with them for, I know what you're gonna say, but just remind me again. And that's a great place. That's a really trusting place that there is an investment philosophy that underlies it.
1: Mm -hmm. You know what? I really like that approach, Dennis. Because it it does, it cuts right to thinking beyond that particular day, and it helps you to think out to the bigger picture, to the longer term. But also, investing is one of the very, very few places where working harder at something doesn't necessarily equate to greater success. Yes. Well, really, the true hard work in investing is having the patience and having the discipline and asking that question up what is my strategy? What is the overall investment strategy, portfolio strategy that's going to help me with my financial goals? That keeps you on target and on the right path and really minimizes veering away. And if, and if you can stay with that patience and you can stay with that discipline, then you're more likely to stay with the overall plan, even through like the natural market roller coasters and cycles.
0: Yeah. The pressure is always toward complexity. It's never toward simplicity. So you do have to be intentional and fight against that and, and have a mindset that believes that you, you're worthy of that simple approach, that it doesn't have to be something that's special. Because we hear that sometimes, like, shouldn't we be doing something more special than just this? Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, go, going about living your life, maintaining your focus on the right things, and the, the constant seeking out of specialness. I know that's something Charlie Munger would have bucked against. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I can almost guarantee there was not much randomness in his statements.
0: <laughs> well, that was always the funny thing at, at Berkshire Hathaway's annual meetings. Buffett would go on these long-winded responses to things and, and using his folksy wisdom. And at the end, he'd turn to Munger and say, Charlie, what do you think? He'd just say, I have nothing to add. Just.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I really hope that this conversation, I really hope that people are listening to this and, and they're sitting back and saying, Oh, thank goodness. This can be easier than I thought.
0: Yes. Yes. We're sitting here close to year end now. You're going to get your year end statements, reviewing them, open them up and say, how complex is this? How random is this? And maybe asking your advisor, can you explain at a very high level how this all fits together? Because I understand that I bought certain things in 2008 and certain things in 2020, but let's bring this to the here and now. Is it relevant? Does it work? Does it tie into my story anymore? Mm-hmm.
1: That's a great takeaway for today because people are going to be looking at their statements and hopefully people are, are going into the end of the year and they're taking stock of what's where. And so to, to come at it from that perspective and to come at it from the perspective of if it's too complicated, let's make it easier. And let me talk to my advisor about how to do that. So... This has been a really good conversation. We do like to bring to light sometimes some of the things that we see, because I don't think that it's always evident either as as investors. I think sometimes investors may look at their statement and just say, well, that's just the way it is. But I, I think it's very much within their wheelhouse to, to ask the questions of how does this fit into the bigger plan? And let me just make sure that I understand everything that's happening.
0: You just reminded me of one more thing that came out in Charlie Munger's uh, obituary in the Wall Street Journal. And that was what he wanted on his epitaph. And he had a very simple phrase. He tried to be useful. And I think sometimes if you open up your statement, you're looking to see, did it go up or did it go down? That's it, is is that position working as it went up or down? The better question to ask might be, is it useful? And if it's not, then maybe we need to think about this differently.
1: There we go. I think we have something to walk away with.
0: All right. Well, thanks again for joining us. Always open to having these conversations and also feedback on other topics that we can explore here on the Simply Why podcast. So until next time, talk to you soon.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Simply Why, a podcast about money and purpose. We hope you enjoyed getting to know us, how we approach leading a financial advisory practice, and the work we do every day to help families and couples make important financial decisions.
0: Morton Brown Family Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This podcast is designed for educational and informational purposes and not intended as investment advice. More information can be found at www.mortonbrownfw.com.